everyone, and welcome back to the Music Education and Technology Podcast. This is episode 14 with Chris Russell and Paul Shimmons, and we have not been on for a long while. So, Paul, come on in and say hi, everybody. Hello. It's been since June, Chris. Now, we've been on a couple other things. I've talked with Katie Wardrobe on her podcast. Uh, we've talked with Robbie Burns, and that podcast, as we record, is still not yet released, but will be. Um, and we certainly understand, as teachers, it's hard to do this. So, And also, the other thing, Paul, that I've noticed is that there are a whole bunch of new music education podcasts out there. You listen to way more podcasts than what I do. I live like two miles from work, so I get in the car to drive someplace, and I'm, I'm at home. Or I'm at work before I really, I can't even listen to a whole song. So I have not caught most of those. What have you found? Well, um, I just even noticed that yesterday, um, Music First is going to be making its own podcast. Uh, Jim Frankel is going to start talking with music educators who use technology, kind of like Katie okay. does uh, down in Australia. And uh, Smart Music has a podcast. There's another teacher, and I, I actually haven't listened to his yet. I think he's down in Georgia. It's like the Music Tech Talk right. podcast. He's been doing one. Of course, you've got Robbie, but Robbie's been kind of focusing a little bit on that Class Nerd podcast, yep. too, a little bit as of late. So he hasn't put out a whole bunch of, of content because he's doing some other stuff in addition, like we all do to our own jobs. And, of course, you've got Katie, who's like the standard of excellence and... Uh, a regular schedule that she's keeping, which is amazing. Uh, regular and or like extremely <laughs> regular? She's extremely. Pushed, she's pumping out a lot of content. Yes, and providing it just, you know, for music educators. So, and, you know, it's, we're certainly not, um, th obviously this isn't a paid gig for, for us, uh, nor is it for most of these podcasters. So it, it doesn't feel like, you know, none of this is threatening. It's like, these are all just great, sources of information and it's kind of like being able to go to a music conference anytime that you want to go to and you can listen to topics and um, I think uh, one of the most recent ones I listened to with Katie was where John Belinsack was visiting with her about the NoteFlight marketplace and and that's it's always fun to hear John too because um, it just as as that program grows and as NoteFlight continues to change under his leadership and his influence, it's just kind of fun to hear all that stuff. And he's been a very busy guy over there doing that stuff. It's it's really exciting. It's exciting to see where it's going, and um, it and he'll be the first probably to tell people that it's you know it's not where they want it yet, but it's it's better than anything we've had yet. It's better than a year of, and a half ago, that's for sure. Yeah, and I just think in terms of the philosophy, I I know, and I've said this a long time. John is one of the rare people that gets it because he was a music educator and he does get the business side of it so he can speak both sides of that world and he knows what music education needs and he knows what the business side fears and he knows how to slowly turn that ship around so um, it's it's kind of interesting we'll, and we'll see where it goes but right now uh, NoteFlight seems to certainly have the right formula. I mean, even the idea of being able to modify a part so that you can 
work with it with your ensemble and the voicings that you have legally is astounding. Is the entry point, yeah, it's outstanding. Yeah, it's outstanding and astounding. <laughs> yeah. And do you do the uh, content libraries with your students or with your, or just for yourself? Um, personally, I don't. I have a membership to Noteflight, and I published one piece just to see how it would go. Um, something that I had written in Finale, I exported into Noteflight and just put up into uh, their their library for for sales. And I think I sold one set of that. It was my arrangement of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer for Chamber Choir. All right. So, and I just wanted to see, I wanted to see how it worked with the marketing and whatever. And, and I, again, I haven't really looked at the royalties or payoff or anything like that. It's just kind of curious how the whole system worked. And, um, and I haven't done too much with that. Cause again, I'm just busy teaching and living, you know? So, yep. but now Rudolph, <laughs> that's a public domain piece, right? Nope. That's okay. uh 1950s Gene Autry. And I can't remember Johnny Marks, I think was actually the, the guy that wrote it. Yep, yep. Johnny Bob Johnny Marks wrote a lot of those popular Christmas tunes that we've got. At least three or four of them. So you're not getting a big chunk, or like the the most the hundred percent of the profit. You're getting the small chunk. You're sharing some with Johnny or whoever owns those copyrights. Then yeah, yeah. It's I can't remember. It's it's only like a ten percent payoff, but or or even I don't know. Um, but and I haven't even looked at the the finances in terms of that, but. It just I was curious how it would work, and it's another interesting way for, um, put another way, a, a person could write, write an arrangement, upload it back to NoteFlight into the store, and then legally buy it themselves to use it. So it'd be another way to meet the stipulations of copyright for like a marching band director. Right. You know, I don't know what they do with like a medley or something like that, but... In terms I don't of... think they can do medleys like that. I think I okay. read that medleys are not okay to do yet. But the other side of actually, you know, like a marching band guy that wanted to arrange a song that wasn't out yet, um, and if NoteFlight had the permission used to do it, you could literally arrange it, send it back, and buy it back, and then legally use it. Yeah. Pretty cool. So Very, very cool. Now, content libraries... Um, I have just a couple of subscriptions to the, like the band content and it's a lot like what is it in, um, smart music. So there's just a ton of songs in there that my kids can listen to. They can pull up their part and listen to it. They can play along with it, but I'm getting to the point where I almost wish I would have gotten the pop content because huh. these kids come to me and they go, Hey, I want to do, you know, this pop tune and it, I'm pretty sure it's in that pop library, but we don't have... We don't have the, um, we haven't subscribed to that. So, so I'm that's like what, the that. extra $2 or whatever or per year per kid or something? I don't know how much it was. I know it wasn't very much. It was, I got like 10 of them, 10 subscriptions to that. And I think it cost me $75. So, okay. There's yeah, enough I, to play around with it. I haven't played with that whole side of the content libraries to see what's out there. Probably, you know, and again, it's, We'll see where that all goes. The problem with the content libraries is that you couldn't... I don't think you could print it, if I remember right. Like, uh, you can access it, but you can't print it. All right. So they'd have to so read it off of their screen. You have to read it off of their screen. 
Whereas the difference with NoteFlight Marketplace is you can do whatever you want with your legal copy. You okay. could print it and use it on paper. I think you could make a PDF and use it. The, the stipulation is you're only legal legally obligated to use it for the number of purchases you've made, which NoteFlight puts at the bottom yep. of, of the purchase. So I don't think you can do that with the content library, and that's really what's keeping me, because if we could, if we could like export a PDF out of the library and we could just use that. Again, you know, you lose out on Alfred and you lose out on a couple other publishers. But, I mean, I'm sure a, a teacher could plan many years of content out of the content library. This kind of blew play. my mind. Because that's like the Netflix for yeah. band directors and choir directors. If, yeah, if, if exactly. we could pull that off, pull you know, go into that content library, print the PDF... Or even if, like, you're you're one-to-one, aren't you, with your kids? Yep. So you guys could pull it up on your screens and, wow. Yep, and the challenge there, though, is that, you know, you've got to have the interface that works. So we still are using Shobi for our, our music, you know, instead of uh, physical copies. And we do have a legal copy for everyone that we're using. But if we could pay NoteFlight the annual subscription for all 350 of our choir students and then pay the extra... Five dollars per student for the access to the content libraries, and then be able to export a PDF of the songs that we wanted to use into another tool like Shobi, where it just limits what they can do. Because right. again, when you're in middle school, if there's a button you can press, <laughs> you press it. If there's something to do other than what you're supposed to be doing, you, you do can it. find it. <laughs> and and Shobi is so simple in that basically all it is is you know writing tools or whatever, and, and that's not very exciting. So then at the worst, and this is what I've told my students, by the way, is with Shobi, is if you have to doodle to stay focused, doodle away and then erase it. Right. You know? Because um, if you think about when I when I went and recataloged our middle school's paper library six years ago, the number of scores that were destroyed by writing. Yep you know, was, was astounding. So, you know, go ahead, write on your music, do whatever you want to do on your music, but just be in your music, you know, kind of deal. But anyway, if NoteFlight could do that, I think I'd do that in a second. And then I could just go to my principal and say, look, I know this is only one publisher, but it's a huge content of, of things, both pop and, and, you know, classical and whatever. And we need a subscription. I don't even know what it is per student for NoteFlight. Do you, do you remember, Paul? Roughly? For my NoteFlight students, it's I mean, I've paid like a there's like a starting base price, but once they got past that, it's like two dollars a kid. Okay, so two dollars a kid plus five dollars a kid for content, so seven dollars a kid. So I could go to my principal and say, I need you know I need a budget of twenty five hundred dollars so that we can do music this year. Yep. But then we have access to everything. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way yet. No. Now, my guess is that John could slowly turn that ship around again there, too, you know, in that connection. I think so. But but that's that's the dream, and, and, and that's the problem. Because, and again, what we do now is I have, like, a $1,000 budget that comes from the district. I'm in a very large district, so... We have uh, four middle schools, and I'm in the brand new middle school now, even though it's the old middle school. It's the oldest, but it's also 
the newest kind of deal. Um, but I have a budget of like $1,500 a year, and that's for, for everything um, from the district level. But I'm sure that if if that was a set number, and then you also had access to NoteFlight for composition and other stuff. Right. That's That would be an amazing thing. So I guess that would be my dream. And if John listens to this, hopefully, you know, he's going, yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, I'll, know, pay, I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate here. You know, you've got $1,000 you spend a year on music. If I purchase actual paper music, then that music is there for the next 15 years. So I don't have to keep paying it every year, which is the problem with any of these subscription things that we do. And um, if I you know, do like what you were just talking about, I pay $1,000, we have access to hundreds and hundreds of pieces, but it's only for that one year. So I don't know, you know, I don't like paying subscriptions to apps. I know that. But we're going to spend the money anyways on music. I would rather have a huge content to access. Like, do you do Apple Music? Yes. And I just started doing it. You know, and again, I, I like having the physical CDs. I like having the physical DVDs. But it really is nice to be able to say, hey, there's a brand new C- CD. I want to go listen to it. And I can listen to the whole thing, and there's no ads. There's no fear of something weird showing up, you know, if I want to play it in the middle of a, a class, you know, and that sort of stuff. So there are benefits to the subscriptions. Not yeah. sold and, on them for apps, I'll tell you that. And I guess, you know, the other thing I'd say is, so, as, okay, so, you know, I've scanned our library. We have a single copy. We can say it's archived, but... You know, um, when we built this new school, it we turned out. It turns out that we did not build adequate storage for band, choir, and orchestra music. So right now, as we stand, all of my paper copies of music are in boxes in a garage outside of the school. Oh, jeez! And we don't quite know what we want to do with it. But the other side of it is, of the 1,500 songs that we have in our library for for choral music, so much of that stuff is outdated. And I'm not even talking secular um, or or sacred debate, because again, um, we have an increasing, I don't know about your school, but uh, certainly in, in our district, we have a growing population of what I will just label as non Christian. Um, society and 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 that's okay i mean that's that's just what it is it's becoming a very much more you know even in minnesota where it's so cold in the winter although it's not so bad we don't have any snow on the ground here right now we have like about a millimeter (laughs) so anyway with with these students that are uh for example uh people that are indians um and i mean i don't mean native americans are talking indians or students that are um, have an Islamic faith or other things, we really can't go, especially in classes where music is required, like like at the middle school level, we can't really enter that sacred area very smoothly. There's pushback. So wow. so that eliminates all the sacred music, basically. Even at the holidays part, we won't dare sing silent night or anything i mean seriously we, we stay away from it all right now and i know that will raise some people's uh blood pressure 
but some battles are not worth fighting. Um, at the high schools, when when music becomes a true elective, it's a little different ball game, but um, not not where you're actually forcing kids to take a music program. Right. So so we've got that, and and then all the pop music that we have from the 1970s and 1980s. Um, even some of the stuff right now from the 1990s that they had purchased, you don't want to do any of that. Right. So basically, of our entire library, you could probably go through and throw out 90% of it, which I, I can't do. I, I just I physically can't throw out music. I have a problem with that. Um, yep. And so all that money that you spent might be something that you play for a couple of years, but then it's gone. You know, sure. you're you're never going to play it again. So it, it seems to me to make more sense to continue to pay for access to the current stuff and the stuff that's currently available and stuff that probably also has links if you're a band director or orchestra teacher to smart music, you know, and things like that. Although I don't know how, how Leonard and Alfred are working out now that Alfred is part of the make music world, you know, with the... Uh, what is the name of that larger company again? Um, I don't know. Peaks, I, Peaksware. Peaksware yeah, owns yeah, okay. Alfred and and um, Make Music and Finale and everything. And then on the other side, you've got Hal Leonard that owns Note Flight and everything else. So I don't know how they're they're playing together or how much they they meet. But again, I see a future where hopefully we have an Apple Music in the middle. So yeah. So the music publishing world, you know, that's something when we started this podcast and as we've been you know, emailing back and forth and tweeting back and forth for years now, both of us continue to, to bemoan the state of of where that's at. And we wish it would have made a little more progress, but John's John's doing the, his part there. Good. So We're very yeah. happy about that. Hey, uh, I had a question, too. You mentioned that you had a score in Finale and you imported it into NoteFlight using yep. XML, I would assume. Yep. How did that look when you imported it? Looked just fine, really. Right. You know, I don't think you have a whole lot of say over how Note Flight, and I didn't really go over that deep, how Note Flight, you know, the pagination and stuff, I don't know how much control you have over that yep. in Note Flight, but it looked fine. Good. Did yeah. you see the latest uh, scoring notes post um, that just came out? Um, who's the guy that writes that? Um, but he wrote about like five of the different PDF sheet music apps for iPads. Yeah, Philip I Philip Lawson is the editor, but it was a guest writer. All right. It was, it was really well up. read. It was well written. The the one the, so I'm trying to remember if they if all the ones. I know for sure they said Fourscore was the best reader for all people. And by the way, yep. when I down when I'm down in Texas next month, that's what I'm presenting on. Okay. So you've got Fourscore is the best reader. Um, they said that music was um, second. Music was second. They looked at Pia score. Yep. I don't recommend Pia score because there's too many buttons for students to press. I also don't recommend four score for middle school students. Side note. Yep. High school. Okay. <laughs> so, and then there was one I didn't recognize. Um, the, the last one they looked at was black binder. Yep. And that's and a subscription talked, thing. Again, we're back yeah, to Yeah, I looked at Blackbinder a little bit. We, you asked me about that one earlier, Yeah. by the way. Here's the other one. It's N-K-O-D-A. Yeah, Nakoda or something. Have you even heard N-Koda? of that? Nakoda. 
I saw it once or twice. Um, I, di- I didn't, I've never downloaded it. The, the one that was missing for me, of course, was Unreal Book. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I, and, and when you look at features, that's the one where it's like, how do you not cover Unreal Book? Because it's it's right up there with Fourscore. I mean, it oh, really absolutely. is. Um, and then, of course, there's the Deep Dish Gig Book, too, which is right. still out there. So I, I don't know. But I, I don't know why they chose those particular five. I agree about their, their top two, although I would throw an Unreal Book in there as well. Yep. Um, it was David McDonald. That, okay. that wrote it. So, he, I, you know, it's was, it was a really good read. But I thought it was interesting because he talked about importing XML. And um, that's a world where, like, music is getting into using XML. And I really like the idea. But as a music educator, I still find it hard to find the time to create those files of my scores to be able to use that um, in music. I think it's a great idea. I mean, if you have an XML file, you can pull it into music, and I want to see just the flute part, I can pull up just the flute part. Or like last night, I was doing pep band. I want to play trumpet, I can pull up just the trumpet part. I don't have to have a whole separate PDF for just the trumpet part or whatever I want to look at. But creating those scores, but again, maybe eventually the music publishers would be willing to allow us access to those because it's not going to be any thing difficult on their end to put that out um and they have the original finale or sibelius file just a matter of exporting it and making the access available to us and and if it's subscription based then they don't have to worry about the income that they get for it either i mean that becomes the the positive side of it oh by the way i just remembered it's philip rothman not philip lawson Yep. I think I've got the uh, I think I've got Mike Lawson, who I think was uh, the executive director of the technology and music education group. I think I've got those names mixed in my brain. But Philip Rothman. No, I'm I'm with you there, Paul. With with that idea of of that. Now the catch is you've got a very much more difficult job as a band director with a music XML file than I do as a choir person. Yes. I mean we do have we do have to worry about text if we're going to import that. But when I put all of my songs into, uh, generally I get them eventually into Notion, sometimes via Finale, um, then then I've got all those tools available to me. But but it's I, I in my last concert, which was in December, I split screened. Okay. So I was um, and actually sometimes I full screened uh, Notion. But I split screen, and I would have uh, Fourscore on one side and Notion on the other. So instead of even just ripping a audio file out of Notion, which is real easy to do, and using the play play features of uh, Fourscore, did, right. I, what did I say Fourscore? Fourscore on one yes. side, and yeah. okay, just want to make sure I just right. said notability. Um, but instead of just you know binding an audio track to Fourscore, I actually just pushed play, opened the file in Notion, pushed play out of Notion, which was playing through my Bluetooth piano. Oh, wait, let me think this in. You used Bluetooth audio from your iPad, went into your piano, no wires. Yep, no wires, no amplification, no sound system in the, the school or anything. 
right through the speakers in the Yamaha Avant Grand that we bought. Oh, man. And, uh, yeah, and it worked okay. So now when, so you're saying you take pretty much all your choral repertoire and you yep. put it into Notion. Yeah. Now, are you talking about, obviously you're talking about the, the accompaniment part because you use that for your accompaniments, which is awesome because you don't have to pay somebody, you don't have to find somebody, you don't have to come in and rehearse. You don't, yep. you're not tied to the piano. That's amazing. Right. Do you also put in all the parts? Yes. So then how do you, because you don't play that in performance, I wouldn't assume. Well, actually, I do to help my okay. students. Um, at the high school level, I would take those out. But, um, yeah. But anyway. Is but, there a way to but, turn that off in Notion? Do well, you... Yeah. You remember the mixer in, in Notion? Right. So just you can the just, I mean, the same way that you'd make a master play-along track or something. That's awesome. So, well, it's really funny. Is as we're going through the year and practicing, um, finally we got to the point where I wasn't playing parts along with students anymore in rehearsal. Okay. And so, I I would you know stand up and start directing, and my students, particularly the sixth graders who were new to me, would lose their minds because the piano was still playing, <laughs> and I was standing up, and they just. They acted like I had forsaken them or something and and <laughs> deceived them of, you know, at some level of like satanic deception because suddenly I was not playing the piano, it was still playing. And, and Notion sounds, quite honestly, you know, that's the thing is that I'll, we'll get these people that are like, you don't want to use a recorder to come in. It's not lifelike. It's not whatever. And they'll play on a piano that sounds worse than the piano stuck in somebody's church basement for 25 years. Yep. And it's just like, gosh, you can have a actual, you know, sampled grand piano in your space and use that and then not have to worry about, you know, and then, by the way, all of my master's classes, particularly when we were talking about choral technique, they kept saying to us, get away from the piano, get away from the piano, get away from the piano. Well, you know, here's your chance to get away from the piano, literally. Yep. But people are afraid to do it. So I don't know. And you, I'm just a digital apostate, I guess. So. Well, and you talk about the <laughs> students reacting like that, and you hear all this discussion about all oh, our students are digital natives. They don't understand the level that this technology can help us. They do no. minimal things on their computers that they have in their hands and then when they actually see something like this that can be done there it is it's an extreme wow factor and it's just one of those bulbs that go off it's like what wait what just happened um i've been using my ipad ever since that it came out like how many years ago i don't know for reading sheet music and i would never go back but i've also started doing um, kind of like what you're doing, using my iPad as an instrument. And I've been playing on the worship team at church. So for the last two months, I've used my iPad as the sound source and the keyboard that's sitting there, which is a good Korg keyboard. Um, I've just used it as a controller. And the sound guy came up the other day and he says, you know, he's looking at all these knobs in the keyboard. He says, how do you do all these sounds? And I said, oh, I'm not using any of that. He says, what are you using? And pointed to my iPad, and he couldn't believe that that stuff was coming out of an iPad. And then when I showed him that I was using three different apps, that even further blew his mind of like, wait, you can 
mix this sound with that sound and that sound and go from song to song and change patches and yeah so the wow factor of what technology can do for us again you and i've talked we haven't done a podcast since june i in part of that's just because nothing groundbreaking has come out but people still are not using what we have available to us and a lot of people are not even aware of what it can do for us and before you move on paul um I'm just going to put in a plug. Paul has a YouTube channel that he's growing. I think you just said you passed 100 followers or something the other day. Did you? Oh, oh, on Twitter? Did that come across? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize anyone knew that. Yeah, I'm like 102 subscribers. (laughs) So, but but I know actually in in my YouTube channel for my ukulele stuff, I'm I'm somewhere over 19,000 right now. But that's absurd. That's great. Yeah, the goal is 100,000 there. That's my that's my goal. But that's a whole different audience than uh, than what we're getting to. But Paul recently made a video where he was showing how to link four score. And using Fourscore's um, embedded MIDI commands, which, by the way, I think that Unreal Book had first. It did because Aaron Aaron is a gigging musician, and he needed a, a program that could do that. So, and that's not throwing any barbs at Fourscore or Unreal Book because you know feature parity is reality. We see it in cell phones. We see it in everything else. But Paul is showing, and you can go onto YouTube, and Paul can tell you whatever. Do you have an official name for your? Does it have a? Uh, direct slash yet for YouTube? If you're in you, no, I don't think it does. Okay, but if you if you're in YouTube and you search iPad Music and then put a space Ed, then that's that'll get you to the right spot. Okay, because once you hit a certain subscriber count, you can actually give yourself a name. Like if you go to YouTube.com/slash ukulele tenor, you can get to all of my stuff. That's where the uh, ukulele playlongs are and nearly five well actually over 500 videos of of ukulele stuff that i've done in the last two years or so but um so paul on his youtube channel showed how he did this and then the best part is as paul's making this video the first time he does it it fails or something like you you didn't have it set to the right parameter and then that's the best part yeah, wrong MIDI channel. <laughs> because then, again, if you're following along with that video, you can understand that we're not perfect either. We don't, although I think for both you and I, Paul, we've had people that, like, technology isn't working, and we touch one thing, and suddenly it's working, and then people get mad at us. You know, there <laughs> there are people, like, and I've joked about for years with my wife, my wife is about the least technological person I've ever met in, in like, a weird deal. Like, if we go out on a walk streetlights turn off and i'm not even it just every time i'm not even joking every time we walk by and if i'm with my wife a streetlight will go off it's like she has this like anti-polaric field around her um and and so and i don't i don't have that field so if i walk under the same light it doesn't go off it's just we're talking bizarreness there um but but you know there are people that just struggle with technology and it's good to see that even the people that that are comfortable technology we're just comfortable with failure, I think. Right. Is what it is. Absolutely. So it's like, eh, that doesn't work. Okay, I'll figure it out. You know, kind well, of. Well, you were. We were just talking about it at the beginning of our, of our podcast, and Chris asked me. He says, "What are you recording on today?" And um, for the for the audio, and I told him, I said, "Hey, I'm 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 recording on my MacBook through Logic, but I'm also recording on my iPhone," and. Um, we were also talking about Chris's concert that he just did, and it's about having backups. And 
as heavy tech users, I think we're well aware of the fact that these things fail and things go wrong, and so you better have a backup. What happened in your concert, Chris? Well, we have a brand new building with a really nice auditorium. In fact, um, I'd be willing to bet that there are a bunch of schools out there that, even at the high school level, that don't have as nice of auditorium as we have. So, um, and that's not bragging, but thankfully we have a, a good drama program at our middle school. A strong, it's one of the very, very big positives of our school. And we were able to use that as a bargaining chip to get this facility. Holds about 400 people. So um, it's a little bit smaller than our high school, one of our high school feeders, although the other high school has a, that I used to work at, has a 950 seat auditorium. Um, but in this is it's filled with technology and there hasn't been a whole lot of training and uh, we've got a brand new 4k ssd video recorder that doesn't have any audio directly patched into it so we have to have some audio like we've got some hanging mics that we've been using well when they set up for the orchestra concert this last week they set up the shell in a hurry uh, they had to take it down because they painted the stage over break to the flat black that stages are supposed to be painted at. Originally had it stained. And it's like, oh. that, that isn't going to work for theater. And uh, so they, they managed to, so they wasted all that money staining it in the starting. Oh, um, but oh well. And so it's now painted black. But then they had to reset up for our orchestra concert because our orchestra teacher wanted it after break. And... Um, in their, their haste of putting up the cloud, which is that top part. I mean, it's an actual shell. It's like a concert shell. It's not just some wenger things in the back. It's actually a full shell auditorium place. Um, they The hanging mics, they caught in the cloud, and they're up above the cloud. So the four mics that we'd normally feed into this SSD uh, 4K recorder weren't picking up audio clearly because they're trapped in a shell. So we set up a second audio video camcorder, and then we set up a um, an H4n Zoom audio recorder. Well, turns out that the camcorder that they used, and I was upstairs operating it, they said it's ready to go. So I hit record when the concert started, and I get an error that the SD card door is open. Oh, jeez. So I've got the recorder going on the 4K recorder in the system. I can't record with the camcorder. I am recording with the Zoom 4N, and I'm afraid to move the camcorder because it's kind of wick, cables are twisted around everything else. The person had set them up. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So eventually, um, and I'm looking around, looking to see if there's like a little rubber door that has fallen off of the camera or something like that. Um, well, in the middle of the concert, I finally, during applause between two groups, I managed to take down the camera and I look at it. Also, the lighting is bad because, you, you know, you keep the lights dim in your control booth. Right. And um, so finally, I take up my phone. I turn on my light on my phone. I'm underneath the desk. I'm looking at the camcorder. And there's this little plastic door that slides up right behind. Uh. And it slides in so you can't see it. What a bad design from a company. I don't even know why they need a door for an SD card that locks in and then you know you get that double click that you have to actually right. why did they need a door for something that's locked in I don't know so then I was able to record the rest of the concert but I was left with an audio recording that we knew was going to be bad with microphones hit in the ceiling 
Yep. And and then so we were trying to be redundant, and even in our redundancy, it wasn't enough. So what I did is I went home, and then for the first time, and, and as Paul knows, I bought a new MacBook this summer. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think in June I had bought it yet, had I? No, I don't think so. No, in fact, Paul and I did we record before or after we met at the Mall of America? I can't remember. It was June thirteenth, so it, that was before we met at the Mall of America. So we haven't so, even discussed that. Jeez, anything. Oh, Yes, <laughs> we did, I think, in Robbie's podcast a little bit. Yep. That So if you want to hear the other side of that story, you can go there. But Paul and I actually, Paul was traveling to South Dakota this summer. Second summer in a row last that he did that. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. last summer. And yep. um, so when Paul was going through, he said he was at the Mall of America. So I met him there because my son, Andy, was going to Apple Camp. And if you guys don't know, if you have children under the age of, I don't know what it is, 12 or something, you can sign them up in the summer. They offer Apple camps and things like movie making or other things. And uh, so my son Andy was going to Apple camp anyway. And I said, hey, Paul, when are you going to be there? And it worked out for us this time. Last time it didn't. So Paul and I had lunch and then uh, went down to the Apple store where my son was anyway and just drooled over technology for a while. And I was at the time looking for a MacBook and I was hesitant to buy one until... Um, Apple announced because we knew that a MacBook Air was coming. Yep. And when all the dust was settled, a refurbished MacBook in the configuration that I wanted was a hundred dollars more than a brand new MacBook Air, which was significantly slower in speed. Now, the MacBook Pro that you got—that's the 2017 version. 2018. So that was this year's, and this it was year's. already on the refurb store. Yes. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I have bought a ton of stuff off from that refurb store from Apple, and I've never once had an issue. One of my MacBooks had like a little nick in the front corner, and I honestly, that was it. So if you're looking for a new device like Chris did, I would you know, urge you to look in there. Even for the new version, for the new stuff. Yeah, it takes a couple months. So by the time the air came out, it was like, it was November. Yeah, all right. Or October 31st or something like that. And um, so, yeah, I, I went with that. And by the way, then there's some other little tricks you can do. I, I use the Apple's 18 months no financing Barclay card. And you oh. also get Apple rewards with that. So oh. um, I have $100 now extra in gift cards from the Apple store because I use that card as well. Plus 18 months, no financing, no interest. No financing. Well, no interest financing. No interest. Right, right, right. And you know, and I pay it off. So it's, it's not like it's a bad thing, but, but suddenly that brings that price of that MacBook down quite a bit. And then I now have another hundred dollars to spend on my next iPad pro when I get it in a year and a half or whatever it is. And you went from a 2008 MacBook to a 2018. Yep. 10 years difference. Yep. That's huge. Yeah. And it's it's amazing. So the long story short is I also bought the Pro Bundle for teachers, which, which is $199, is, which is, you know, the, the... The apps that are in there are what? Final Cut Pro, Motion, you get Logic Pro. Motion. Do we say Motion? Yep. Motion. Is it Compressor? Yeah. I think there's like five apps, but Logic... Pro and Final Cut are the big reasons. And if you buy those separately new as a non-educator, that's like 
$2,500 of software? Well, I this final cut by itself is, I think, 500 or something. I'll go you know? look it up. So, How much space on your hard drive did you have? I wanted, a, a, and this is what I would tell people, don't buy anything with less than 16 gigabytes of RAM and 512 of hard drive space. Okay, so same as what I would suggest, yep. Yeah, I and I know some people would be like, well, you can be fine with eight. If you want your MacBook to last 10 years. <laughs> right. If you do, if you do, that's the, you know, and hard drive space is going to become obsolete in the next couple of years. As soon as Apple once so? again raises that two terabyte oh, limit for nine ninety nine a month to the next level. Yeah. I lost you for a second, Chris. What'd you say? Well, I'm sorry. I was saying um if in the future hard drive storage is gonna become obsolete. All right. You know? Um so yeah, I just looked at prices. Logic is two hundred dollars and final cut is like three hundred dollars. Well it's only that little. I thought it yep. was more than that. No, but still that's five hundred dollars just for those two apps. And as an educator you can get it for two hundred dollars. Boy, did I overestimate that price. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Holy cow. But that's Never because mind. I've been looking at this stuff for how many years, so. <laughs> Oops, sorry about that. $500 for those two apps. All right, anyway, so long story short is what I was able to do, I was able to go back and for the first time open Final Cut Pro and then run up quickly on the, on the internet how to merge um, using Final Cut's abilities to merge the audio between the zoom and the audio or the video that we had recorded in 4k and then was able to edit the movie basically so and and so we were still able to save the recording and i was able to provide the orchestra director the next morning with a complete recording with good sound of their concert even though nothing actually worked by itself other than the audio so recording so to the review, you took how many different files? An audio file, two and two video files? Just one video file is all I used. Okay, so one audio and one video. Yep. And then you created a multi-cam clip, and Final Cut does the magic work behind the scenes. It 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 syncs those clips up, and I, I've never had that fail. And I've I've the, the last two summers I've played with that a lot. The technology for Final Cut to find that audio peaks and whatever, it locks them right into place. It's nice. And what Paul and I had talked about, again, before we hit record this morning, was I'm, I was telling Paul, boy, you know, LumaFusion that I use for all of my video editing, it is so much easier to do a lot of things on LumaFusion than it is Final Cut Pro. LumaFusion won't sync audio like that, at least not yet. But... In terms of like overlaying a custom title or making like, you know, uh, inserting a logo of a school or a, a watermark kind of on, on a video, so easy to do on LumaFusion. Whereas on Final Cut Pro, there are lots of buttons and, and menus to find. So just, again, I, I would put in a plug for anybody that wants to start editing with some more powerful video software. Um, if you want a much less expensive but powerful tool give LumaFusion on ipad a try or iphone i think it works on iphone too quite honestly does it really yeah oh wow of course we're back to this discussion too of 
storage space. Do you know off the top of your head how large those files were that you pulled in from your devices? <laughs> well, here's here's what I will tell you, is that that 4K SSD recorder, when I tried recording my concert, we had had the, the company that installed it. We didn't, we didn't even think of it. They just said, all you got to do is hit record and record days of audio or video is what they told us. Okay. So um, we got them to get it working. And on my concert, I hit record about 30 minutes before the concert started because I wasn't going to be going back up to the booth. And we don't need anybody to run specific sound or anything when you're running your piano through the stage like a live piano. Um, okay. So long story short was... It, it turns out that the SSD recorder was set to record in its highest capacity. So it re, it filled up a 256 gigabyte hard drive SSD card with one hour of video and oh only recorded my sixth grade portion of the concert. So I, I called this last week and before orchestra concert um, the end result was a file that I think was 24 gigabytes for about an hour and a half of okay. recording. So it's pretty... And what quality of recording was that? Was that it's still, still 4K video? It's still 4K, but it's not... It's not... Look, you can zoom in on the, the pimple of a student in the fourth row <laughs> level of video. All right. You know? So if you're going to do LumaFusion and you're going to do video and you're going to do audio and pull that stuff over into your iPad... We're back to when you're looking at a device for you or for students, you know, or for your school, kids that are going to be doing these sort of projects, you have to get a device with enough storage. Um, I just had to clear my phone out because I left my video recordings on my phone. I left okay. the setting at 4K. <laughs> oh, geez. So I filled up my 128 gigabyte iPhone and I had to go back. I had like 8,000 videos, so I guess it was time to clear some of them out anyways. Now, do you have, um, do you, are you paying for Apple's iCloud storage too? I am paying 50, or, um, for the 50 gigabyte, the, okay. like the dollar a month okay. level. Because for some reason, I never seem to run out of storage space there. And we're at the two terabyte level at our house because I, I use that as backup for all my important files and, and everything, so... And that's like what ten dollars a month. Ten dollars a month and one hundred twenty dollars a year, and it's just peace of mind. And does that come out? Can you pay that in one chunk? You, you could, know? but we just do a monthly, whatever. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So I was going to say, Paul, which phone are you running now? Um, I got one last year at Christmas, uh, so just the first version, the iPhone ten. Okay, all right. I'm still running the eight, but I'm pretty happy with it. Although that will be going. Most likely to my son next year when he enters sixth grade. All right. He's going to enter the world of smartphone world. We Oh, by that's we got him. I don't know if you've seen this, but we bought him a relay. Have you heard about the what? relay? No. What, what in the world? You know, now that, you know, Paul's kids, his youngest, I think, is what, a senior in high school now? Yep, senior in high school. So I've got six and a six-year-old and a 10-year-old, and uh, the 10-year-old we didn't want to buy a cell phone for. So... And Verizon does make like a, a watch device that um, is called a gizmo. And for $5 a month, it can call just a certain number of people and has GPS tracking. But if you're not on Verizon already, you have to either start a Verizon account or whatever. So we we didn't want to do that. We have T-Mobile. So we, we didn't really have an answer of 
because my my 10-year-old likes to wander through our community. It's kind of an old-fashioned community where it's kind of enclosed in the community. We're on one side of a of a highway and it's just our community. Um and it's it's not like it's gated or anything like that, but it is it is kind of, you know, people know each other and everything else. So our 10-year-old can be wandering anywhere in this community playing with any number of kids. It's it's all people that are kind of like in our age range and a little younger with kids. So we didn't ever know where to find him. So this relay thing turns out it's being sponsored by a number of people that used to be on The Office, the TV show. All right. It's kind of weird. But basically yeah. it's kind of like a cell phone excuse me, a cell a cell phone walkie-talkie. And it's a little speaker with a button. And it's, it transmits via cell phone. Um, I think it's the Sprint carrier, but it's uh, carried by Relay Wireless and it has a GPS tracker in it. And basically um, the, the kid can call you and if you're not on the app on your phone, you, you get a notification that says your child is speaking, turn on the app, and then you can talk back and forth. So it's kind of like a cell phone, but it's kind of not. So we we think this is great, and again, it sounds crazy, but for $10 a month now, we have knowledge of where our son is all the time, because we just kind of put it in his jacket in one of those pockets on the inside that zips that he never uses, and if he needs to use it, he can pull it out and call us, and if he doesn't, we just know where he's at. So How often does it need to be charged? um, We charge it, um, it takes... I think it can run for like three or four days, depending on how much he's using it. And sometimes he just likes to take it out and just bug us, like, <laughs> of course, you know, from somewhere else. And it's just like, okay, whatever. So that works. So if, if I don't know, if there's any parents out there, um, the gizmo is highly rated by people that I know that have it and like it. And we probably would have done that, but the, the relay is worth checking out. Well, I think things have changed. I have six kids. My oldest is like, I don't know, 25, 26. And for our first three kids, we got them a cell phone for Christmas, which was arguably one of the worst presents we could have gotten them. It's like the, the, the <laughs> gift that never stops giving because we had to keep paying for it over and over. Um, but then the next two kids, we did not buy them a cell phone because they had iPod touches or an iPad, and they were always around someplace that had Wi-Fi. Or they were with us. So for years, we never bought them a cell phone. And then now for our youngest daughter, we've gone back to the other side of, yeah, she has a cell phone now. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Do, do the kids need a cell phone? I don't think they always do. But I will tell you, the majority of them have it by the time that they are at the end of sixth grade. They do. Yep. And we, we have a rule in our school that basically, because we're a one-to-one iPad school, you leave your phone in your locker, or you leave it in your pocket and we don't see it, but if we see it, we take it as teachers and it gets turned into the office. So, yeah. um, because they were just too much of a distraction, and we still do get kids that fight us from time to time, but then that becomes an administrative issue. So, right. And quite honestly, the iPads are still enough of a distraction because you can't block Safari and unfortunately, whereas there is, um, you know, you can block all the games and block the App Store, but there are so many online games, and the online games are getting better and better that at some point 
it's you just have to continually monitor and that's the negative side of a one-to-one ipad school and probably chromebook oh yeah i would assume so just it's the touch interface um is better for gaming than is i think a a physical keyboard without a mouse (laughs) right you know actually two things i heard that there's now a fortnite game that's that's web-based that kids have been playing. And then the other one that I just have seen for the first time, our AirPods are finally finding their way into our school. We haven't seen them because they've been too expensive, but we also changed our rules this year because um, we used to have a no headwear rule, like no hoods, no hats. And at the district level, they made a, a change. And suddenly our school is one of the only schools with a no headwear kind of rule. And when the district above won't support it, you kind of at some point have to back off yourself. Right. So we've backed off the rule. Well, now kids can be AirPods in their ears, hoods on, and the hoods are all tight now, you know, the ones that they wear. And yeah. they could be listening to music or whatever the entire hour, and you'd never know. So, so. your kids can wear Wow. That would yeah. drive me nuts. <laughs> yeah, Yeah, we're not allowed to wear hats and headgear and it's kind of odd because my first hour my band room is in the high school and our middle school is connected and my first hour is uh, sixth grade and so they just come to my class with their coats and bags and then after my class they take their coats and bags to their lockers and um so i constantly have to talk about hey take your hat off i know it's a sweatshirt but take your hat off so that's that's interesting i just assumed every school was a take your hat off sort of thing but i guess not no and i mean if you even look at like like when i go to church on sundays there's people that wear a hat all the way through church and stuff so you know it's just it culture has changed there and and uh, the big scheme of things is can you learn with a hat on your head you sure can you know unless you have airpods in and you can't hear the teacher. <laughs> unless you have airpods <laughs> but it's true i mean and it's the next battle that our school has to get ready for but I don't know how you fight that. I don't know how yeah. you fight that. So, eh, we'll see. So, what else is new with you, Paul? I um, My AirPods just gave me the warning that they're down to like 10% or something. So, I oh, thought boy. I would. <laughs> well, like I said, I think the biggest thing with me that's new is I've just started using my iPad as a performance instrument. And I think there's some really nice options available for us now. Um, you know, for like piano players... You don't have to buy a really expensive keyboard. This is something we're going through with our church is, what do we want to buy? Our, our old one is needs to be replaced. So do we buy a $4,500 keyboard that sounds really nice? Or like you bought that piano. How big? How much was that piano that you guys bought? I have no idea. Yeah. But I all know I know is more... that I didn't have very much on my requisition list. I mean, yeah, we got okay. a set of ukuleles, and I think that was maybe $6,000 at the most. And maybe this avant-grand maybe was, I don't know, at 6000 at the most compared yeah. to the band and orchestra programs. I mean, oh, yeah. I don't even think we spent $25,000 in the choir room total, like yep. including chairs. <laughs> but, you know, a, a normal person like that, you can buy a cheap 88-key keyboard and then, you know, for a couple hundred dollars and get a couple of these apps that sound really good. You know, you're talking maybe $100 in apps at the most. And you have a really amazing sounding keyboard available to you. You just patch audio out then through the speaker or through the the headphone jack. Well, and that brings up the discussion. Well, some of these 
devices are losing the headphone jack. So yeah, I have done both. I've used my headphone jack, and then I also have two audio interfaces that I've been using. One is the Presonus uh, i2, okay, and then the other one is the um, iConnect Audio 4. And I bought that one because I knew that it had a, like just astounding capabilities in the iConnect or in the audio um, audio for the i yeah the iConnect one. Um, you know, you can plug your iPad in and a computer in, and the audio can go back and forth between the devices. And you can also plug in four audio sources as well. So I could plug in a microphone, a guitar, and a stereo mm. piano, for instance. And all that audio can go any place I want. All the MIDI can go any place I want. The downside, it almost requires like an engineering degree to, to, <laughs> to get this thing to work. All the different routings that are possible. So, you know, if you want the capabilities, it's there. But it's not easy to figure out. The i2 from Presonus is super duper easy. You know, you plug it in and it just works. Um, so, but on my end, for new stuff, that's about it. Now, you said something about iPad stands or something. Did you? Oh, yeah. You know, I bought for my very first iPad, the iPad 1, um, <laughs> a little a, a holder. But it was designed for that iPad. And then, like, just shortly afterwards, I bumped up to the iPad 2, and that holder wouldn't work anymore. So I kind of got soured on purchasing another holder. And then eventually I bought the 12-inch iPad, and I knew there's a couple of holders out there, but I wasn't convinced they would hold that big of a device securely enough. But I just recently bought from um, AirTurn, the Manos holder, yep. and... I tell you what, that thing holds on to my iPad like none other. It has two little clamps on it, and I, you know, when I go to take it off, I'll unhook one clamp, and I'll try to pull it out of the other one, and I can't. Mm-hmm. And you literally have to physically push the clamp down to release the iPad. And so I am totally comfortable, even with that big iPad, in that Manos too. And I bought their stand too, the little Go stand. Yeah, that that's exactly down. what I'm running. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's great. You know, it, it feels a little bit, um, you know, like I would not run over it with my car. I'll, right. I'll put it that way. You know, but it folds way down. It's super duper small, um, and I found that you do really have to crank on my knobs to get them really tight. Because um, I bought the boom stand, yep. or the boom attachment, and if it, if that is not really tight, it does uh, sag, um, you know, with the 12-inch iPad on it. And um, so, and at first I was kind of scared to over-tighten it because of the build quality. It, it just wasn't sure it would hold on to it. But after having it for a month, yeah, I just have cranked on that sucker and made sure it's really tight, and it works great. And you're using the same one? I've got pretty much the same one. I've got the one that has a little sidearm extender that you can, like, put, you know, the your iPad mount on and then mount a microphone on the top or whatever that you want to do. Um, The other thing that I did is I bought, there are these like quick lock, quick microphone thing releases. So I can interchange really quickly what I want on top of certain things. All right. And I also bought Ortega guitars makes a stand like ukulele guitar holder. 
And I also put that on there. So I know some people have a drink holder on their stands and things. But this way, when I'm at a ukulele festival or whatever, I can be playing off my iPad and just hang my ukulele on the side of my stand. So. Yeah, I would strongly suggest buying those from um, AirTurn. I like those. Those guys over there are nice guys. It's kind of funny. The story behind that is I put it off, put it off, put it off. And finally, my wife said, I need an idea for you for Christmas. So I ordered this stuff. We had it in a box. And it came in, like, I don't know, on Thursday. And then, like, on Friday, I got the notice from AirTurn that their Black Fridays went Black, Black Friday sales went into effect. <laughs> so I could have saved, like, $50 or something. And I just shot it off an email to the guys at AirTurn. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. I waited and waited, got the box. I haven't even opened the box. I could have saved money. And they turned around and gave me a refund. So they're great guys. The other the – other- tip I have for you is that AirTurn does keep B-stock on hand. Oh. So stuff that's been opened or returned or has a scratch on it or something, and it works just as good as the regular stuff. So don't be afraid to email AirTurn and say, do you have any, um, you know, like B-stock? Because I think the standard monos mount and just the stand by itself is about $100. I think that's about okay. right. Um, you can get, I think, like a 20% discount and by the way, you can check with almost anything um, for a B-stock. Like if you're interested in the page flip um, Dragonfly like I have, or it, it's worth, I don't know if iRig Paul has any, you know, like B-stock. I do know that AirTurn will carry some AirStock, even controllers. Now, you had you had a video the other day about, Paul's got this like, kind of almost looks like a guitar pedal foot turner from AirTurn. Yeah, um, I bought the uh, Stomp 6, and so it's got six, like you said, little pedal push button things on it. And he was having some trouble. Did he sort out what was going on? I have not sorted it out. I don't know what it is. Something, I, I, I've used the church's iPad with that pedal, and it worked as expected. And I've used my iPad with that pedal, and it worked as expected. But when you go between devices, you have to unpair it and then repair it. And now I cannot get those switches to do what I want it to do on my device inside of Fourscore. So I don't know if it's a me error, which is quite probably the problem, or if it's a pedal error, or if it's a app issue. I've got one question know. for you. Have you turned your iPad all the way off and on again? Yes, I have. Okay. Because every now and then, my Apple Pencil on my iPad Pro okay. will, like, act up. It just, I mean, I'm not talking, like, all the time, but just rarely. And I, like, start panicking, like, oh, my gosh, that's a $100 pencil. What am I going to do? And then I restart the iPad, and everything's fine. So I just, I just wonder, like, because it's Bluetooth, I wonder... And that was my one thought is like, that's what I always forget to do is if you sometimes if you just restart the device and you let Bluetooth clear itself out, maybe that would work. But I don't know if you did that when you're testing with the six on that video. Yeah, I, I restarted the, the Bluetooth, you know, just in the settings. Um, I've restarted the iPad. Actually, the reason I had to restart the iPad was because the AirPlay in my classroom stopped working. And so I reset the iPad, so I know I've read, I, yeah, I don't know what it is. So I'm waiting to hear back from support from both companies. <laughs> Hopefully well, somebody has an answer. AirPlay, talking about AirPlay? Yeah. Um, so our school, we put, 
some some classes like math have a smart board, but everybody else has a smart panel made by the smart board people, but okay. it's without the, the guts. And they put an Apple TV in those classrooms. Right. I use a lot of video in what I'm doing. And the video for me glitches. The even peer to peer, it glitches. They've had Apple support out, like literally the Apple engineers. They don't have an answer for it yet of what's going on. So I'm back to a physical connection, HDMI right to the TV. So, and then there's a couple teachers that don't use as much video and they're fine. So it has something to do with you know, the, the transmission of video. And I'm not going to say that that's universal, but it's what's happening for me. But what made me think about, Paul, is I don't know if you saw the news from CES this year, but Apple just allowed TV manufacturers to embed an Apple TV AirPlay 2 right into their systems, kind of like like um, Google has with Android for the last couple of years. I think you could do like Google Play directly through that. And that's going to be a major shift where you don't have to buy a separate Apple TV to access Apple's content anymore or even to use AirPlay. So you could, you can AirPlay to, and it's all the, I mean, Vizio, the cheap one, you know, right. Is doing it sharp. Um, there's like, I don't know, there's a list of like, I don't know, at least, at least 20 different models from, from different vendors that it's going to have that. So we've some of them, you don't even have to buy a new TV. Some of them, it's just a software update. Yeah, like the Viz- yeah, there's some Vizios that are older, yeah. So we've been waiting, putting off buying a new TV, for, especially for our basement, which we finished a few years ago. And it's like, well, now this is this is what will get me there. This and summer, my, yep. Yep. And my dad, by the way, my dad, actually, I was just thinking about it. There's that big storm hitting in the, the central United States. My mom and dad just started a road trip all the way down to Florida, and they're probably in the middle of that snowstorm. Oh, no. Um, yeah, I just thought about that. But um, he's been trying to figure out a way to stream like Netflix to his TV in their camper when they're traveling. And I finally just went to him and I said, well, why don't you stream from your phone to uh, Apple TV Yep. and just do peer to peer? And he was totally confused by that. He's a big time technology guy. He, he was the guy that originally wrote out the memory map for the color computer. So yeah, years ago. So he he finally figured all that out. So as he's traveling, he's got a latest generation Apple TV and he's he's now he know now he knows now how to just peer to peer network, which is pretty cool. Oh, I just lost you, Paul. You have a oh. poor connection. Well, I don't know if that's me or you. I don't can you hear me now? I can hear you, I just can't see you. I know your your video has been like really fuzzy for a while now. I'm at school, so I don't know. Oh, you're at school this morning? Yeah, well, I live two miles away. It's a lot quieter here. Okay. Yeah, my, <laughs> my, my house son... is getting ready for a Christmas party, so. Oh, wow. Okay, that makes sense. My 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 10-year-old is in a basketball tournament this mother there this morning, so um, his mother took him and the 6-year-old, and I have to go join them when, when we're done here. Yep. So, kind of fun. Any last thoughts? Not really right now. I'm sure we could just keep talking for a while, but I know we probably both have things to get to. Well... My sink is clogged at home, so. <laughs> did you get that text message while we were talking? I did. Bring the Drano home, they said. <laughs> Do, oh, I mean, you have to stop off at the store and get it, or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, 
It's all right. We got till two o'clock. It should be unclogged by then. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I don't know. So anyway, Paul and I, we're not going to make any promises in terms of when we'll be back next. Um, we'll, we'll try to see if we can get together and talk, you know, next month or something like that. We're sorry about the six month break, but you know, it's, it's okay. Um, you know, it's, we are it's still life. alive. Yeah. We and are still pushing out content. And there's still lots and lots of people also podcasting. So it takes some opportunities to watch, you know, and, and listen to, to what they're doing as well. So, Hey, and I would suggest if anyone's listening to this podcast and Chris and, or I have not mentioned a resource like another podcast that you really enjoy, let us know because we'll talk about it and we'll put it on our websites and um, and get the word out there because like Chris has heard of some of these things and I haven't. So let us know what you're listening to. Yeah. So everybody, we wish you a very happy new year. We didn't even get a chance to say happy holidays to everybody. So welcome to 2019. Hopefully it's a good year. If you're down at Texas, I know I'll be there Paul will be up at the Michigan conference. Yep, the end of the month. When's your Texas one? Uh, that's February 13th through the 17th or something like that. All right. So I'll be down there for that. And next year, I think I might try applying for Illinois and Michigan and Iowa again next year as well. So um, keep an eye out. I'll see if I can make it to some of those again. I had a great time when I visited Michigan. How Was that yep. two years ago or three years ago, Paul? I can't remember. I think it was two yeah. Two years ago. So it was fun to just hang out there and every conference is fun. That that's and meeting people is the is the cool part. That, you know, and making connections. That's that's what I really love about conferences. Yep, getting out of our rooms, our little solo our, our little islands of um existence and meeting other people and talking, finding out ideas, tossing ideas. And a lot of times just getting validation that what we're doing at home is okay and that we're on the right track is, you know, that's always good to have too. Yeah. And, and leaving with one or two new ideas too is always awesome. Yep. Absolutely. It's awesome. So, all right. Well, thanks again for listening to the Music Education Technology Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Google Play. We're not on Spotify yet, as far as I know. Um, and feel free to send us an email. I think it's metpodcast, M-E-T-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at gmail.com. And we love to read comments. And if there's ever any questions we can answer, feel free to do so. Paul, where can people find you? I am at ipadmusiced.wordpress.com. And like we mentioned earlier, there's a YouTube channel that goes along with that um, not a lot of content there but i'm putting some more and more out just search for ipad music all one word and then the space and then the word ed and your the, stuff is where chris i'm at techinmusiced.com ukestuff.info and youtube.com slash ukulele tenor so that's where you can find all the stuff that i've been doing lately so, um, and by the way, as we close out, remember that the starting and ending music here was made by Paul, especially for this podcast. So, Paul, I appreciate that. On an iPad. So, go create, people. Go play and go share. All right. We'll catch you next time. Listen for us. Hopefully, we'll be back in February. Bye, everybody. Bye.